funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. It's we deserve this win, man. Fox Force Five flying high in both Oh my goodness! I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling it's the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate, and just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team, and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, it's about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast presented by the Kings Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Bryant West on here as we always do. What's going on, Brian? How you doing, man? Uh, I am uh, struggling in a state of uh, of waiting for news. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. day after the Kings win their second game in a row um, against the Mavericks, they beat the Lakers and the Mavericks, and send uh, two teams desperate to avoid the play-in tournament to complaining to the media about how bullshit the play-in tournament is, uh, which is dang hilarious. Uh, we're still waiting on news about our beloved Tyrese Halliburton who uh, had a knee injury yesterday against the Mavericks. Uh, as of recording, there still has been no news. And I believe uh, Sean Cunningham posted uh, about an hour ago that there would be no news today. So, uh, you know, on pins and needles, hoping that Tyrese, you know, he doesn't need to play again this year. He absolutely doesn't need to play again this year. Uh, just really hoping it's not anything serious. Yeah, we're recording this about Monday night, um, 7 o'clock. Not about Monday night. It is Monday night, um, 7 o'clock here. And, yeah, the there's also a tweet from Woj that came out yesterday. It says the MRI was set for, MRI was set for Monday morning um, and also says there's initial optimism he may have avoided a serious injury. So fingers crossed with that. And, yeah, we won't dive into it too much, but I do think that, you know, if there's a situation where they know they're without Halliburton next season, um, oh. then oh. I, I think it that. could drastically change how you approach this off season. Uh, yeah, that would definitely do that. Um, yeah. But hopefully we don't have to deal oh, with that. Lord. Maybe we shouldn't even. Maybe I shouldn't have put that <laughs> out there, and oh. we can just deal with that if that does become the case. But it seems like you know there is optimism, although super skeptic that we haven't heard anything. Um, but I don't know. The Kings aren't exactly quick to share information anyways. It yeah. could mean nothing that they're not saying anything. And and again, it, it doesn't – I don't know. He did walk off, and, and he had some help, but there wasn't a stretcher involved. Like, I, I, I yes, hopeful that it's not as bad as we think and, you know, just sit out these next few games to close out the season, be fine to put some work in this offseason and come back fine next year. Yeah, we can only hope. Yeah, and uh, I, we should say, I mean, the games that he played uh, before going down in that Dallas one, he was absolutely phenomenal. You know, he's been the engine of the offense these last few games yeah. with Fox being down, and I think that he's gotten more comfortable in that role, um, especially that Lakers game, 23-10, oh 4, and 2 steals. On 8 of 14 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. Um, absolutely ridiculous game from Halliburton in that one. Especially in that fourth quarter where he and Rashawn Holmes were just carving up that Lakers defense. Mm-hmm. Um, that blow by of Anthony Davis was just an absolute thing of beauty. And uh, I might say that's his best game of the season. It's, it's definitely in yep. contention there. And, uh, you know, we both said last week that we really wanted to see him be aggressive with Aaron Fox out. And, man, he was really doing that. So. Very aggressive. Yeah, like I said, I, I do think he's starting to look a little bit more comfortable as the guy out there. Um, and it sucks the timing of this Dallas one because I think he was really doing that in the beginning portion of this Dallas game as well. Um, but it, it's great for him to be developing that. And, and, you know, there was a lot of shout-out to – 
his leadership from Walton and um, various other people as well after that Lakers game, which it's hard for us to gauge how much of that is really going on. Um, but I, I don't think like on-court leadership personally from what I could tell looked all too different. Um, but yeah, either way, I mean, I guess when you're performing at that high of a level, your words just hold a little bit more weight. And um, yeah, so definitely nice progress from Halliburton and fingers crossed there. And after these two wins against good teams, and you know, I, I think that I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but you could say like Braun and AD looked really rusty, right? It was Braun's first Very game back. Rusty. It was also the best defensive game I think I've seen from the Kings all year. Like the effort was there throughout the entire night. Who knows if that's just playing the Lakers or what it is. Like I think that team is capable of playing halfway decent defense, and you saw that against the Lakers for really it felt like the entire game. So I don't want to take away from the Kings um, in that regard. And, and then they also – played really well in that Dallas game. I think it's hilarious that they sweep the Mavericks this year and two of the games are without De'Aaron Fox. Doncic gets ejected. Can I just say, by the way, like, <laughs> how much of a baby Doncic is? Like, oh my, every single call he's whining. Like, oh, I, I, I guess stars do this. Like, and, you know, Fox oh, yeah. is guilty of this for sure. But well, not to know. that level. I yeah. mean, this is a this is a Sacramento fan base, and I mean, I know you you weren't there for the Brad Miller years. That dude was uh, tearing up four or five times a game. <laughs> um, I mean, Demarcus Cousins famously had the biggest temper in the game. I will say that the only silver lining I think said this earlier on Twitter so I apologize for stealing it from her the only silver lining in the Kings not drafting Luka Doncic was not having to uh, cheer for a dude who is just he he can't let three minutes go by without yelling and nearly crying <laughs> so you know it's and then he's flopping on the other end do you, yeah. do you remember the play where uh, Buddy set a back screen and he absolutely like folded in half when he got touched by a screen by Buddy Heald? And it's it's so ridiculous. It's so yeah. ridiculous. So it, it did, you know, it, it, we're at the time of year where every win and loss matters. Um, and I think we can safely say the Kings are all but mathematically eliminated from the play-in tournament. So, um you know, a, a loss yesterday probably would have meant more for the franchise moving forward in terms of, I mean, right now they're tied for the eighth and ninth spot, I think. They're either tied with yeah. the Raptors or one game back. Yeah, they're ninth. Um, and they can't possibly go lower than, like, seventh at this point. They have to catch up to Chicago. Um, so maybe a loss means more. But, uh, yeah, sweeping the Mavericks isn't the uh, most unenjoyable outcome, I will say. And uh, I gotta say, especially in the games where Porzingis doesn't play, Dallas has just done a really, really bad job of building around a superstar. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I feel like the way that you've seen teams really like carve up the Kings this year is by just getting to the rim and practically like getting chauffeured <laughs> there and able to finish with no real issue. Like Damian Lillard, you know, absolute sharpshooter, known for these long threes and everything, I felt like the way that he was destroying the Kings was at the rim. Um, and I think that Dallas doesn't have great spacing around Doncic, um, which, you know, may have made that a bit more difficult for him. And the heavy switch scheme also forces players into isolation, which, you know, I, I mean, if he's getting the ISO against Bagley, Damian Jones, like obviously that's not ideal, but sometimes shots don't fall in isolation. They're not always great looks no matter. And, I think the last two games, like, Doncic just kind of wasn't hitting down some of those isolation looks. So, yeah, things things worked out, but also credit to the Kings and absolutely credit to Marvin Bagley in this game. Oh, absolutely. I 23 think points, was... nine rebounds, three assists, um, a steal, and he played 34 minutes, 10 of 16 from the field, one of three from deep, two of three from the free throw line. Yeah, I think that was his best game of the season. Yeah. Um, and – you know, he's really playing – Lakers game wasn't as uh, statistically impressive, but i got to say, in both games, his effort level has been full force all the time. Um, and that Mavericks game, I mean, there were a couple rebounds there where he was playing as physical 
as I've seen him play in a Sacramento Kings uniform. Um, that one double rebound where Luca just fell to the floor because Marvin had the audacity to get a rebound over him. That one sticks in my mind as, uh, you know, the kind of rebounds that he was really pulling down at Duke. Um, the kind of rebounds that really kind of told me, hey, this guy can really be a physical player in the NBA. So that's really good to see. Um, and whether he's doing it to, you know, we play, whether he's playing with that amount of effort because he legitimately wants to rejoin this team, wants to help them win while they're so injury riddled and just keep floating on. Or as, you know, a lot of uh, smart people have have hypothesized, he's showcasing that he's healthy and that he absolutely should be worth some team coming and trading for him this season. Uh, that effort should always be applauded. Totally. And, you know, I, I think that he mentioned he'd been working on his right hand during the time he had spent injured and in Phoenix. And Good. Um, I, I do think that there was some moments in the recent Dallas game. I, I want to say there's two right-handed finishes at the rim. And, like, that should kind of just be an average night, you know. But, like, that stood out to Bagley. I think I tweeted one of them and was like, this is the most I've seen Bagley use his right hand in a game. And that's not to say he's using his right hand all the time. Like I said, there's, like, two nice possessions with his right hand. But before, you couldn't find one. You know, yeah. and there's still plenty of moments. I know you and I had a conversation of a play where it's like, well, if he would have just gone with his right there, wouldn't have made it so difficult on himself. So there's still a lot of progress that needs to happen there. But that was just such a clear area of his game that needed to be worked on. So the fact that there's any progress, even if it's incremental and still has a lot of work that needs to be done, is encouraging to see. Yeah, it is. And either for his future as a Sacramento King or his future in the NBA, that um, any development from Marvin Bagley is good to see. Um, you know, I, I, we were kind of kind of carved through Marvin Bagley's uh, future as a King here in this episode. I think that's a pretty important topic, especially uh, after one of his most impressive games in a, in a year or so. Um, so I'll just I'll just uh, start here. If these are Marvin Bagley's last games as a king, uh, that's a disappointing outcome for all involved. Um, it's disappointing because I still believe that Marvin has real potential in this league. Uh, I don't know if I'd still believe he's got star talent, but he's certainly got higher volume score in a smart offense kind of potential uh, as long as that team can really address some of his weaknesses. <laughs> See, even saying that, something as simple as that, I think he can be a good scorer. scorer has to come with nuance and caveats. Unfortunately, that's all we have to go on in these conversations about Marvin, which stinks. Um, this whole conversation and situation stinks for a young guy on a rebuilding team that could really use a guy with his skill set, but unfortunately it all sits in the shadow of a superstar in Dallas. So um, I think the number one thing, everybody says it, we're going to keep saying it, but it's truly the end all. The Marvin Bagley conversation always has to come back to his health. Um, we can highlight all of his strengths and weaknesses as a player, but if he hadn't missed nearly half of his games in his career with feet, hand, and wrist injuries, we'd really be talking about a totally different player. Uh, the Kings have played 218 regular season games since drafting Marvin Bagley, and he's only played in 114 of them. And as we talked about last week, transitioning to the NBA as a big is not a fast process. Um, Marvin Bagley has not gotten anywhere near as much practice time or game time as a lot of the guys who came into the league with him. Um, and if Marvin can really stay healthy, I think he's got plenty of opportunity in this league. Um, I think the second issue for me surrounding Bagley is the Kangs organization in which he was drafted into. Uh, it's been a real mess since he got here, and it really hasn't helped him develop or adapt to a realistic role at the NBA level. Um, I'm never going to forget the fact that he came in with MVP expectations for his first year. Uh, and when Dave Yeager tried to calm those expectations down and tried to bring him off the bench more slowly, uh, I think it was only a month and a half into the season that Brandon Williams tried to get him fired through the media for it. Um, and then Luke Walton came along the next year, and we all know how great Luke Walton is for developing young guys. So, 
it, it, anybody who really says, well, Marvin Bagley hasn't gotten the opportunity with a uh, smart team yet. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Um, it doesn't stop De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton from developing, but it's absolutely a, a factor in Marvin Bagley's career. Um, and unfortunately, there is a harsh truth that there are some aspects of Bagley's game that I think he really hasn't developed in. Some of it is connected to his health. Some of it's connected to the coaching staff. And some of it's connected to his playing style. He's still not the most consistently physical player. Although, like we talked about, it was great to see him just really go to the, go to battle against the Mavericks on Sunday. Uh, that was really Duke-level Bagley right there. Uh, but, you know, three years into his career, three years into everything he's been trying to work on, he's still fixing his left-hand dominance. He's still predictable in the post. Uh, he leaves a lot on the table as a scorer. You know, I think we'll talk a little bit about why in the world he's never been used or convinced that he really should be a pick-and-roll coach from Duke to Sacramento. Nobody's ever really done it with Marvin Bagley. Um, there's a lot of reasons why Marvin Bagley's time in Sacramento is almost certainly ending. And, uh, you know, as a Sacramento Kings fan who can really see the talent that's still in there and look at the talent that we really were expecting on draft night, that's that's a disappointment. And uh, there's, I still kind of hope he's here next year. I know it's going to be a complicated thing to do, and it would um, really complicate some free agency conversations this summer, especially with his front court mate, Rashawn Holmes. But uh, there are a lot of smart fans out there who hope that Marvin Bagley's here next year, and uh, I don't blame them for that. What do you think? You think Marvin Bagley uh, is going to be here next year? You got any hope? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with just to clarify for for listeners a little bit, as we've said a bunch of times, and we'll continue to say, you know, the the area gets complicated is right now the Kings are not going to have space to re- sign Rashawn Holmes or give an offer to Rashawn Holmes more than the early bird rights that our friend uh, Tim Maxwell has laid out a few times for us and, and did pretty well on Twitter today. That offers about four years, $48 million. And I think that's a totally reasonable deal for Holmes, but I also think that another team could very easily offer more than that, and that's all it takes. It takes one team. We've seen Toronto link to him at the deadline. We saw Charlotte link to him at the deadline, both teams that have cap space this offseason. Um, I, I think that Dallas, we saw tonight, is going to be an interesting one. I believe San Antonio is another team with cap space that I could see interesting there as well. Um, so that's where this gets complicated. And, and Bagley does have a large salary um, with being the second overall pick. So that's where that gets complicated. Um, I, hmm, and, and obviously there's the whole situation with his dad requesting a trade for him, and, and he never shut that down himself, Bagley that being. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I probably think it's a coin flip. I don't know which way I lean, but I wouldn't be shocked with either outcome because, you know, there still is this potential of Bagley. Um, but at the same time, and I'm also taking this from Tim Maxwell, it'll be on a uh, King's Herald uh, mailbag coming out here in a few days. But there's a question, something along the lines, if Bagley plays like this every single game, uh, then blah, blah, blah. And Tim's response that I absolutely love is, well, we've seen games like this from Bagley before. I think of Miami, I want to say his rookie year, there was a Philly game earlier this season, and it's great. But, like, when is flashes not enough anymore, um, especially when they are this rare? Um, and, I, I mean, I think to answer my own question, like, I think we're next season is that point. Like you need some consistency from Bagley here when it comes to health and on-court play. And, um, yeah, so to answer your question, sorry, this is a very long-winded way to do it. I think it's a coin flip. I don't really lean either way, and I think that, I wouldn't be surprised with either outcome. Um, yeah, I'm having trouble gauging the home situation, really, which is what it comes down to. Because, like I said, I think it's a reasonable deal, but it only takes one team to offer more than that four years, 48. Yeah. And honestly, um, you know, I've, I've said the uh, four years, 60 million number a couple of times as my, this is the max, what I'd feel comfortable playing or Sean Holmes. Uh, Kings can't offer that without trading someone. And uh, 
you know, it's going to be really complicated to make any moves on draft night or during free agency uh, that the Kings might uh, otherwise use to clear cap space. Like, is it going to be easier to find suitors for Marvin Bagley and his potential? Or is it going to be easier to find some team that has cap space because the Kings can't just trade a guy and get caps and they have to specifically trade them to somebody into cap space? Uh, is it going to be easier to find somebody who has cap space who would want either Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes? It's definitely going to be Marvin Bagley. There are going to be some smart teams who are going to really try to buy um and I'm not I'm not saying that like I think that buying low is a bad idea. Like some team that thinks, all right, we get Marvin Bagley in this building, we know he's an injury risk, but if he we can get him at a low enough cost, Kings can definitely prove once again that they are a Kangsu organization and we can have a real player out of this. Um so it's gonna be really hard because if the Kings are definitely want to clear enough space to guarantee that they can re-sign Rashawn Holmes, easiest contract to move might be Marvin Bagley, and yeah. uh, then you've then you've got a real decision between the two front court guys. And uh, I don't know if you made me pick right now. I think I'm picking Rashawn Holmes. Um, but after a game like that for Marvin Bagley, I mean I know Tim's right. We've seen plenty of games like this from Marvin Bagley. But, I mean, he he was a lot of what we always wanted him to be last night. And uh, I think as long as he stays healthy and as long as he's really dedicated over the next couple of weeks, we might see more and more games like this. And this might become more and more of a conversation. Um, so it's disappointing that the Kings can't realistically figure out some way to uh, keep both. But it's what happens when you've got a big bloated rebuilding team with a bunch of uh, mediocre to bad contracts. You mentioned earlier the the rebounding that we saw from Bagley, and there was that stretch that um, the the double rebounds, you know, you get to see the little patented double jump going on and everything um, that was great to see from Bagley. And I think this can loop us back to our pick and roll talk because, you know, one of the easiest ways to get offensive rebounds is running a pick and roll. And, the Tyrese Halliburton, a great ball handler in the pick and roll, by the way, I think a much better partner for Bagley in the pick and roll than De'Aaron Fox, even though Fox is totally capable in that aspect. Yeah. Um, that if Halliburton puts up a floater and the big man's engaged with Halliburton, he misses it, it should be a fairly straightforward rebound for Bagley, which yeah. he's very good at, and he's going downhill. People, I, I've seen people saying, you know, this doesn't happen very much, which it happens an okay amount, I guess, for Bagley to be running the pick and roll um, is, you know, well, he still has to learn that, that the nuances of the pick and roll. And it's like, well, in my mind, running the pick and roll is simplifying the game for him. What's easier, him being the roll man where he's already downhill and has to take one or two dribbles and you know, if you get the ball in a short roll situation, you do kind of have to make decisions from there. But also if you catch the ball on the perimeter, you're having to make decisions from there. And the decision every time is for him to try and make something happen himself, which is is what it is for now. But it's not any less decision-making is what I'm saying than the situations he's been put in in isolation. Um, I, I think that pick and roll is absolutely simplifying the game for Marvin Bagley. Yeah. And I do wish that we saw it happen more often. I completely agree with you. It, it has always boggled my mind, all the way back to draft, that Marvin Bagley has never been asked to really try and focus on the pick and roll because uh, this goes all the way back to his time at Duke. And it didn't make sense to me when he got into the league and was immediately partnered with the fastest point guard in the league that a guy who is in the 90th percentile for run and jump uh, athleticism as a big man wasn't asked to do that because it seems to me to be one of the easiest ways that he's going to get advantage opportunities in the NBA. But, I mean, it's just, it's never, it's never happened. It's been clear since Duke that Bagley either doesn't want to play in the pick and roll or he's so mediocre at setting screens or some aspect of the play that three coaches from his collegiate and professional career 
have just never utilized it as part of his game. Um, I looked up numbers because, you know, it's important to make sure that your eye test really is backed up. Uh, at Duke, he ran 0.7 pick and rolls per game. Oh. Pick and rolls were a whopping 4% of his total shots. As the goals. guy on the team. Well, I mean, that was a deep team, and it was complicated by the fact that, you know, Wendell Carter was there. Yeah. So it wasn't like the paint was clear. Mm-hmm. But 4% of his total shots. Yeah. Like That's crazy. It, it, uh, I should point out that he was 97th percentile for pick and rolls at Duke. Um, I mean, it's such a low volume that it, it could all just be noise, but come on. Um, and then he came to Sacramento, and when he got drafted, I thought it was the easiest damn fit because Dave Yeager ran the pick and roll to death the year before Marvin Bagley got drafted. I've, Zach Randolph was doing it almost as much as he was getting isolation opportunities. Um, and the Kings were already using, utilizing Willie Cauley-Stein in the pick and roll, but it just it, it never really happened. Um, in Bagley's rookie year, he had 1.5 pick and rolls per game and was 45th percentile as a scorer in the pick and roll. Um, the Kings were in the top half of teams doing pick and rolls. Willie got 3.2 such possessions a game. And Harry freaking Giles had more pick and roll plays than Bagley, which just makes no sense to me. Uh, why in the world Dave Yeager wasn't utilizing them? I mean, it, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, last year, I didn't even want to look up the numbers because he only played in 13 games. That would have just been noise. Uh, this year, he's getting 1.8 pick and rolls per game, and he's in the 35th, 34th percentile as a scorer. Meanwhile, Rashawn Holmes, who has seemingly realized that Oh, yeah, the best offense that we can have without De'Aaron Fox on the floor is me and Tyrese Oliver running the pick and roll. Holmes is up to 4.2 pick and rolls per game, and he's in the 88th percentile for scoring. Rashawn Holmes is a master at the pick and roll. Why haven't the Kings tried to do this with Marvin Bagley? I will never understand it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, the the role for him has been fluctuating a lot with Metu, who they seem to really enjoy playing at the four, um, and Damian Jones, and then obviously Holmes as well. It seems like all of Bagley's minutes are going to come at the four right now, um, which maybe complicates like the idea of running a pick and roll a little bit, Well, but that's not an excuse. Yeah, and I want to go back a sec because I can hear... Uh, some smart listeners screaming, well, they're not having him do the pick and roll because he's not good at it. Um, I mean, the numbers back that up. And you you and I have noted plenty of times that Marvin Bagley has never met a screen that he doesn't like to slip. He is not the most determined screen setter in the league. He he definitely has some. Uh, There are definitely moments where I'm like, yes, keep doing that. Be that physical. Set that hard screen. Wait until the dude is really in your gut and then roll. He just doesn't consistently. No. And and we can accept that that is a player weakness, something that he needs to get better at, while also saying that the Sacramento Kings have clearly never worked on it to the level that they needed to to utilize one of the fastest and most athletic big men in the game at a very standard play style that, like you said, would be really good for his game. Like, I really feel in whether it's next year, whether it's in two years from now, some future team, some future smart team is going to start having him do it three, four times a game, yeah. and his and his scoring opportunities are just going to jump. And everybody's going to be like, oh, look at how dumb the Kings were. Marvin Bagley really could be a scorer. And it it, it just doesn't make sense to me. If a player's not good at something that should be so fundamental to their game that he hypothetically should be really good at, you work at it. You make him do it. Kings are such a developmental team that it should have been the focus from day one, in my opinion. Like, I wrote a big, long article before Myron Bagley played a single game where I said, I really hope that the Kings don't just try to make him into this isolation uh, elbow scorer like really utilize him on cuts, utilize him on the pick and rolls, and keep him close to the basket so he can get rebounds. So it's your they fault. Did. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, they did. <laughs> they did two of those things. They did not do the pick and rolls. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you know, if the issue that people want to say and say this is the case, that Bagley doesn't want to do it, right? It's not up to him. Like you make him do it, and if. Yeah. And all that ends up happening, possibly, you know, maybe maybe he's not good at this, but he has all the tools. Like, it, maybe he's not down the line, but I think you absolutely need to be trying. And I think that, you know, if it does become a viable thing, that he would grow out of not wanting to do it because he'd be like, wow, this is this is really working. You know, like, we haven't even gotten to the point where it's like we get to decide, does it work or not? Um, and... You know, I, I do want to talk about this physicality thing um, because, you know, I think that there's talk that, and it's hard to actually identify if this is the truth, obviously, that Bagley, like, hates contact, right? And, I mean, I think that if you're looking for that, you can totally see that in a game. Um, I don't know if it's that he needs to get more comfortable with contact because I think he does kind of bounce off of guys right now. Like, I I think that's absolutely a development that could come with time. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, when you look sort of allergic to setting a real screen, then I I think that, you know, it's, it's reasonable for some people to have those whispers and those concerns. And when you're, when you're playing a big in this league, like, you know, if, Think Anthony Davis, right, doesn't want to play the five. That man is so skilled, he can play whatever position he wants. You know, he doesn't want to play the five because he doesn't want to be banging down low, even though the NBA, modern NBA isn't quite like that like it was before, right? Like Duncan said the same thing. Garnett said the same thing. Sure, totally fine. Those guys are so ridiculously skilled. Anthony Davis could say, I want to play point guard, and you would play him at point guard because that man is so ridiculously skilled. Marvin Bagley is not in a position where he is just going to be successful in whatever role he wants. Um, And I think that, you know, there needs to be developments in multiple different aspects, but I truly think that pick and roll is going to simplify it for him. And if you just keep putting him in, in different scenarios, how is he going to get decent at any of them? Like there's nuances to each of these scenarios that he's not being able to pick up because there's no consistency. Yeah, and to go back to the earlier point, I feel like a – I mean, I can't say this for certain. I feel that it's likely that a lot of the uh, recent physicality concerns may stem from the fact that he knows how many injuries he's had. He knows he's not the – Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, like he has gotten hurt so many times in these years from freak accidents. Like nothing – Nothing, he didn't have some terrible tumble fall. He didn't get, they were all just, he was running around the screen and DeAndre Ayton caught his hand weird. So in in that aspect, like, I feel like if I was Marvin Bagby, I would be hesitating a little bit too. So I just want to loop it back to, we don't know what Marvin Bagley would have been in terms of both his skill set and his physicality if he had had three straight years where he played at least 70 games or something. We don't know. We have no idea. Um, And I feel like we should at least mention the fact that when he got hurt that last time, he went back to Phoenix. And uh, Kings fans all across Twitter, us included, were like, why isn't he still with the team? Um, And I forget when he said this, but he said when he came back that uh, he went to Phoenix because he wasn't in a good place mentally. Um, and to a certain degree, like, you know, it, it, it's one of those aspects where we as Kings fans have really failed to separate the dude from his situation. Like, we all know he's the guy who they picked over Luka Doncic. Um, and that cannot be a mentally healthy place for any young player, especially a dude who may really feel like he couldn't have been, he couldn't be the guy that he wants to be because he keeps getting healthy. I mean, he keeps getting injured. So um, all roads lead back to Marvin Bagley's health concerns. 
and that stinks because I really don't I, I don't know how physical a player he'd be if he wasn't hesitating or something or if he was always banging against guys and didn't have to worry about some freak wrist or foot injury. Absolutely. Those are great points. I hadn't considered the, uh, you know, questioning and being hesitant of physicality because of the previous injuries. And totally I don't want to be, yeah, no, there, be a psychologist yeah, and, yeah. and tell him and say, this is why Marvin Bagley is the way he is. Because I, don't, I, I feel like we're in his head too much. We're in all of these players' heads too much. But I, I, if I had to put money on it, that'd be my guess. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And, and you're totally right. You know, Bagley was kind of dealt a pretty shitty hand. You know, he got picked over a player that is generational and that has nothing yeah. to do with him. And he was always going to be a really raw prospect. You know, I don't think it was crazy to say it's going to take three years. And yep. this is the third year. Um, and 13 games in year two, only 39 in this one. He's going to barely top um, the mid-40s here. He's still 22 years old. And, you know, I, I kind of think that if, if Bagley does end up in another scenario, that that could be one of the best things for him personally to get rid of this stink that yeah. the fan base has kind of unfairly attached to him. And I, and I understand where the fan base is coming from. I'm not trying to come at the fans or anything. Um, but Oh, yes. Lord knows that I've been a, a retweeting Luca highlights as much as anybody. I mean, like, why do the Kings pass up on this guy? <laughs> yeah, totally reasonable. Yeah, totally reasonable. You know, I think my last point on Marvin Bagley is we all know that the next big decision the Sacramento Kings are going to have to make is who is the next coach of this team. Um, and all I'd say is that I really hope that one of the one of the conversations that Monty McNair and Vivek Ramadiva have when they're interviewing these coaches is what would you want to do with Marvin Bagley? Because it isn't inconceivable to me that uh, some head coach, some real locker room leader comes in and says, hey, no, I'd really like to get to work with this young kid. He's, how old is Morgan back there right now? 50 days into being 22. 50 days into being 22. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. Like Some new coach could definitely be like uh, a 23-year-old with that level of athleticism in my offense could definitely work. It's not inconceivable to me. Um, so I'd hope that, that uh, Monty gives him uh, that next coach, uh, him or her, that opportunity to decide. And who the heck knows? Maybe a new coach could come in and sell everybody on giving him this one final chance. Uh, Kings certainly do not have to trade Marvin Bagley under any circumstances. His dad may not like that. Um, I will say that uh, one aspect of the last two games was really seeing how excited Tyrese Halliburton was every time Marvin Bagley did anything. And uh, we talked about it in the beginning. If, if Tyrese Halliburton's going to be a locker room leader for this team, which I'd absolutely love him to be, uh, he could definitely use one more hyper-athletic big man to learn and develop chemistry with. So... It's not inconceivable to me that uh, a situation arises where the right coach says, no, I want to keep this guy around, and, and the Kings players are all like, all right, let's do this. And Marvin Bagley buys in. I don't know that his dad ever will, but who the heck cares? His dad can just be muted on Twitter. Absolutely. And, you know, winning and, and success, individual and team success, is, is going to solve most problems. Um, and I do think that, you know, if – they had a better coach in Sacramento that this team is absolutely at very least fighting for the play in. Um, they have that level of talent. And, and like you said, Bagley individually does have a ridiculous level of talent is, is very young. And I think that, you know, there is also progress that could be made this off season where this whole isolation post up or, or face up game is, is also totally viable. Um, I'm not trying to say that, you know, don't do that at all. Like, no, it should it. absolutely be a part of this game. Totally. And, Good but and it always just, shouldn't be. Yeah, just, you know, need a couple more moves than spinning back to your left hand or a left jump hook. Um, and there seems to be a little bit of progress. And um, I'll say, you know, we mentioned the physicality earlier, and the one that really stands out to me where it's like, okay, if Fagley's going to be this guy where you're really trying to ISO through him, then 
he's got to be a great passer. Or a a not bad passer, I should say. Because right now, you know, there's not the same, like, forcing up a shot like there was last year in some of his rookie year. Um, Maybe last year's not fair to say, 13 games. But there's not that same issue. But instead, you know, what happens is if it doesn't work out for Badley, then he used 10 seconds of the shot clock and it just the ball just gets kicked back up to the logo and they start all over. Um, you know, there's never a play where gravity or Bagley is causing gravity, sucking in the defense and then hitting his teammate on the money when, um, when he caused the defense to form that way. Um, mm-hmm. And that totally can be a progression in his game. Um, and I, I think that would make that part of the game really important for him. You know, if you're going to play him at the four, then you need to see Bagley throwing lobs to the guy in the dunker spot when he's rolling um, or when when he's driving. Cause, yeah, we've been over the rolling thing. Um, but, yes, like yeah. like you said, definitely not saying take away that aspect of his game, but yeah. throw the pick and roll there too. And I do want to give him a lot of credit. His three-point shooting has really been solid totally. this year. Um, sadly, at the, uh, at the expense of his free throw success, which is just the weirdest flip-flop, I mean, he shot like 70% from free throw line his rookie year and 80% in 14 games last year, and now just shoot 57% from the line. But he's upped himself to being a 36% shooter from deep on decent number of attempts. And I don't know. He's really started making – well, he had all year before the injury. He's really gotten good at – teams knew they couldn't just leave him open in that corner anymore. Um, and and having a big guy who can always threat to cut to the basket at any moment, standing in the corner waiting for one of your initiators to get to whip the ball over him, that's a really good skill for a big guy to have. So totally, it, it's not like he's just failed to develop in any way, shape, or form. He's definitely shown flashes. Yeah, he he has definitely progressed this year in the way that you mentioned. Um, and I think he's just a little bit more patient within the flow of the offense. Like, definitely not trying to say that, uh, yeah, he has not progressed at all. And, you know, I think the reason that I view Halliburton as the more ideal pick-and-roll partner um, is because ideally in a pick-and-roll, and I think you saw this issue in, in Minnesota, is you want one player to prefer to roll to the basket and the other one to prefer to pop. And in Minnesota, both Cat and D'Lo are trying to shoot a jumper from the perimeter, and that just makes it not an ideal pairing. And I think the idea with Fox and Bagley is that both would like to roll, right? But if Bagley is a capable three-point shooter, then you can do a little pick-and-pop scenario and guarantee that Fox is pulling in two guys. And then, you know, another way to simplify the game a little bit is if Bagley's attacking a closeout, there's less creation responsibility and more so just, like, capitalizing on advantages. So it could be something there as well, you know. And, yeah, that three-point shot is is awesome progress because I think that's something that we were skeptical, or at least I was, that would even happen at any point in his career to get up to 36% like this. Yeah. It's been great to see. And hopefully he continues because uh, I really do feel like – a league that has a good Marvin Bagley will be a better league in the end. He's a fun player. He really should be utilized to be so. Um, I'd love to see him, whether it's with the Kings or with his next stop, really explode and become the player that we all thought he could be uh, when he entered the draft. But I don't know if that's with Sacramento. I'd love it to be, but there's uh, so many complicating factors now. Absolutely. Still a possibility, I think, to a lesser extent than maybe what some people had him labeled at the time of the draft. But um, ridiculous physical tools, like we mentioned, 50 days into being 22 is still ridiculously young in this league. Um, so, yeah, just a you know, weird situation with Bagley for the reasons that we mentioned. And obviously not being in an ideal development spot. Um, you know, I think the Kings are... They, they damn well better be a better team next year with a new coach unless they really <laughs> messed up the hire. Um, but, yeah, I think um, – do you have anything else on this this Bagley thing before I call, throw a couple other notes out here? I don't. Um, I, I feel like he's always going to be one of the most complicating players to talk about for Kings Twitter. So 
Uh, I don't want to come off as a Bagley pessimist. Honestly, I feel like I'm a Bagley optimist. Um, so I, I try to have as much nuance in this conversation as possible because he definitely needs to have a bunch around him. So one other thing, or two other things I want to mention. DeLon Wright, oh. thank you for putting on a show in the fourth quarter and then waving goodbye to your old team. Just phenomenal. <laughs> it was so fun. Yeah, he has definitely been the best part of the trade deadline all for me. Interesting. Yeah, I think, so, obviously, Terrence Davis has an asterisk to him, right? He's got the complicated legal situation that uh, we've made people aware of and obviously complicates the rooting for him situation. But I will say, like, on the floor, um, he has been a nice addition, and there was an example um, in that last game where Halliburton got tied up with Josh Richardson going to shoot, and um, then it kind of looked like Richardson threw him to the floor. Maybe Halliburton was flopping a little bit, but then like Terrence, Dave, Terrence Davis went and stood up for his teammate, and like yeah. you just have not stood. Like Metu got thrown to the floor and broke his hand earlier this year, and nobody went up to Valanciunas. You know, like one of the, I'm sorry, but like one of the dirtiest plays I feel like I've seen in a while. And nobody did. Well, it. if anybody if anybody comes to dunk on him like that, they absolutely have the right to. There's never going to be a maybe three people got that joke. Um, yeah, there were a bunch of really dumb Memphis fans uh, who, after that play, were like, "No, he, if he comes to embarrass a guy, they can absolutely throw him on the floor." Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but I agree with you. I I there are a lot of aspects about Terrence Davis's game that I like. And uh, that's all I can really say about Terrence Davis. Yeah. It's just it was hard. really fun to see him lock down LeBron on that one play where he uh, was right up in his face and then poked the ball away, and then I think Tyrese grabbed it from the high, from the uh, steal. That was a lot of fun. It's good to see somebody really go at LeBron like that. Totally. And, you know, my hope is that Jemias Ramsey can fill the Terrence Davis role that we're kind of seeing was needed. Um, and, and I think, you know, while Davis is fairly efficient, the second unit kind of needed somebody that was just willing to throw up shots. And I think that JR could totally yeah. be that guy. You know, I think that's why Buddy was successful in that unit last season. That's why we've seen Marvin successful in the second unit. They need a high-volume guy in the second unit that's not, like, horribly inefficient. And I think that JR could totally develop into that role. Um, yeah, I mean, like, in that blowout Lakers game, I would have liked to see him get run early, but I get JR being extremely raw, and he's totally not there yet. But I think that's a good mold for him to kind of follow and an idea for people that aren't too familiar with Jemias Ramsey of, you know, the type of player that, at least personally, I think he could be. I guarantee you that nobody who listens to this show regularly has a lack of understanding of who Jemias <laughs> Ramsey is because of you. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. He got out there in the second quarter of that Dallas game, and I can't tell you how much I freaked out. I was like, well, what is happening right now? <laughs> and he bricked a jumper, bro. Oh, God. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sure there's just, you know, if if you were thrown out there in, like, your first real meaningful minutes – it would be hard to not be nervous. Like Halliburton's very first game of the year, which it's kind of the only game he had nerves, he was so nervous. He was picking up his dribble left and right, and Ramsey just has an, an opportunity to really catch a rhythm. You know, he was shaky in the G League, but even then wasn't getting uh, – he, he kind of had a little bit of a short leash because that team had guard depth. So, yeah, definitely um, yeah, definitely an interesting situation for Jemias Ramsey and just – know that, like, nerves were probably a part of that and very understandably so. Absolutely. I feel like the only thing that we need to really close out this season is just 20 minutes of Robert Woodard. Please. Yes. What is this back issue? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He had a great outcast shirt on, by the way. Shout out to Robert Woodard for that outcast shirt. I think um, he's probably hurt his back by carrying all of your expectations. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. It's, it's my fault here. Um, but, yes, the the Kings' next game 
they have here is against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who they're going to see a couple times before this season does come to a close. Um, oh, you know, there's, the Kings have made just enough noise that I feel like people are, hey, technically if this happens and this happens and this happens, they could be they could be in the play-in. And I'm just like, I'm not letting Lucy trick me again. I was waiting for this. I'm just not. Stop it, guys. We've seen the Kings play good for a couple of games. You know when it's going to flip around? When they lose every single game to the Thunder. Absolutely, this is the type of game they lose. And hopefully we're reverse jinxing this, you know, but... um, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Reverse jinxing this? Oh, sorry. I would rather rather them get to the seventh (laughs) pick than be in the twelfth pick and be like, well, we tried. You are right. You are right. But, you know, it's the type of game after getting expectations up where they come out and just have, like, an absolute stinker to a team that just lost worse than they did um, in that Utah showing. So as long as it's not, like, pathetic, you know, which I'm sorry to use harsh wording, but it's definitely been that proportions this season. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you can get some decent momentum and and, um, hopefully Barnes can get back, and you see Metu come back as well a little bit here. And you mentioned Woodard. I would love to see Ramsey get some minutes. And some of these guys just get a little bit more comfortable. I think DeLon Wright hasn't. He's been a little inconsistent with some of the playing time he's getting. So maybe getting him in a little bit of a rhythm with some of his teammates, considering he's going to be on the roster next season as well. But, yeah, um, we get to give Will a hard time for all these crazy Poku scenarios. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really fun to – End of the season with uh, three opportunities to watch the uh, Oklahoma City Pokers. Yeah, the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? Oh, dang it. I, I was trying to remember uh, how uh, how that went. <laughs> yeah. And then you got it. <laughs> Is that Will that came up with that? I want to give credit. I think. No, it was Akis. Akis gave it oh, to Oh, there you go. Yes, it was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Shout out to Overlord Akis. That was a good one. Absolutely. And shout-outs to all the guys at the King's Herald doing phenomenal work there all the time. Great articles being put up left and right. Definitely give a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.